Well, today we're starting a new series called One Another's. Throughout God's Word, the different commands that God calls us to look at. In Romans 12, 5, we read, In Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. You know, there's a deep longing in each of our hearts for relationship, for unconditional love, for fellowship. In the next few weeks, we want to look at these one another's, and we want to look at them in such a practical way that they make a difference in our lives. This morning, we're going to be looking at the, one of the many commands in God's Word that says to forgive one another. Colossians 3, 13 says, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And today, I want us to look first at the reality of holding our own lives and secondly the result of holding on to that hurt harboring that hurt and third if we have this hurt what's our recourse what's our options how do we deal with this in court fourth is God's remedy for bitterness that's forgiveness I'll never forget it's been probably 20 years 21 years I tried to deal with a conflict with someone that I respected and cared for, and I got nowhere. It's like I felt like I was just hitting a wall. And it was is it typical with many people? My hurt turned to anger. Pretty soon I realized I was depressed. As a matter of fact, some evenings I'd go to bed at 7:30, 8 o'clock. I was tired. I was depressed. I'd wake up exhausted God began to deal with me and I said Lord look 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 at him look what he did and the Lord said Ralph give him to me I'll take care of him trust me trust me that I will be just in this it was hard to forgive thank God's grace I did and now I have a relationship with this individual that is great I love him I told him just a few weeks ago I love you I thank God for you I appreciate you I think we're, if we're honest in our lives we all struggle maybe you won't get where I was back 20 something years ago but we struggle with bitterness Nancy Lee DeMoss in her book on forgiveness relates the story of how often she will ask the large crowd that she speaks to about she'll ask them to stand up if they struggle with bitterness she says at least 85% stand up we all hurt and we handle it in different ways. As a couple sat in the, in the pastor's office in counseling, the wife said, Sure, I'll forgive him when I'm good and ready. If you only knew the misery he'd caused me, you'd understand why I'm not knuckling in. When he says, Sorry, sure, I'll forgive him, but not until he's paid for a bit of the dirt. 
that he's dragged us through. Another lady, when asked what she thinks would be good for her husband, or should happen to her husband, and she said, Hell would do. Hell would do. We see that bitterness, hurt, that hurt that turns to anger, then on to bitterness. King David, in Psalm 55, responds to the hurt that he felt when those closest to him betrayed him. He says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide. But it's you. It's you. My companion. My close friend. With whom I've enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walk with the throng at the house of God. We all face hurt. We deal with it in different ways. Some of us have had a spouse who's been unfaithful. Others were abused sexually by our parents or by loved ones. Some of us may have children that are rebellious. Some of us may be suffering from a breakup in a relationship. Some may work for a demanding employer. Maybe for some the hurt comes from a physical defect. But what is in my life, in the friends of my life who have shared with me, or in ministry over the last 25 to 30 years, I've seen the deep pain and hurt that we all struggle with. In Charles Dickens' classic novel, Great Expectations, readers meet an older lady named Miss Havisham. Now on this day, years earlier, she had been dressing for her wedding. But 20 minutes before 9, she found out that her husband-to-be would be coming to the wedding because he ran off with another lady. And from that moment on, life stopped for Miss Havisham. Every clock in her house stopped at 20 minutes before 9. Heavy drapes were put across the windows to keep the sunlight out. She lived in seclusion with her adopted daughter. The wedding cake and feast lay rotting on the table. Years and years later, spiders were everywhere. Rats ran in the walls and across the floors. Miss Havisham continued to wear her wedding dress, though tattered and yellowed. She'd worn it since the day of the tragedy. When Pip, the main character, comes into view and with her, he asks, what's going on? Miss Havisham says, on this day of the year, before you were born, this heap of decay was brought here, and I and it have worn away together. The mice have gnawed at us and sharper teeth than the teeth of mice have gnawed at me. Of course, those sharp teeth are the edges of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Our situation may not be that of Miss Havisham, but we find ways to numb the pain that we have in our lives. Has your clock stopped? 
like this Habersham's plot? Was there a moment in your life when someone hurt you so deeply and everything changed? You may still today be able to remember that day, the minutes, the circumstances. Your hopes and dreams were lost and that sharp pain of betrayal or disappointment has left your life empty. Your desire to seek revenge affects your thoughts, your attitude, your actions. You withhold love because you don't want it to happen again. Well, everyone gets hurt. It's a fact of life. Pain is unavoidable. You and I will be hurt. We will be wronged. And the truth is, you and I will hurt others. Sometimes purposely, sometimes unconsciously. I think we're all familiar with the, the saying that we either get better or bitter as we deal with hurt. And the outcome of our lives is not determined by what happens to us, but how we respond to what happens. While seeing the reality of hurt in our lives, and I, I think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, and we see the results of harboring hurt. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. You see in this three different things about unforgiveness. First thing is, bitterness always springs up as we harbor hurt. Bitterness always springs up as we harbor hurt. Hurt always seems to find a way to surface in our lives. We can try to push it down. We can try to say it's not there. But it's there. And it comes up. It's kind of like those dandelions in my backyard. Most of you may have grass. I've got dandelions. I've learned that I can't just cut the dandelions. They just keep coming back up. I have to get a, a, a shovel or a spade and dig deep down to pull the dandelion out by the root. Otherwise, it's there. It keeps coming up. When our hurts are not dealt with, dealt with biblically, bitterness roots uh, it roots itself in us and, and, and it's it's going to come up. And so like dandelions in my yard that have refused to die, bitterness continually springs up. But secondly, bitterness always cause, causes trouble. Bitterness always causes trouble. Bitterness in our hearts is revealed through, as I said earlier, depression, um, through despair, through anger, through resentment, fear, and worry. Our actions may include criticism or slander, um, retaliation, caustic uh, behavior. No, no one likes being bitten by a dog. It's been many, many years, but I remember my father was a uh, county commissioner, and he'd run every four years, and I'd go out and campaign for him in his rural area, door to door. It's been many years. I still remember when that dog bit me. 
you know what that dog caused me to not want to go door to door I lost that excitement when that dog bit me and when I saw dogs in, in, in homes or outside I'm sorry dad I'm not going to that house in the same way after we've been bitten by a painful experience we develop strategies in our lives we change our behavior thinking this will protect us from future hurt but these repeated uh, patterns in our lives become a part of us third thing about bitterness from this Hebrew passage not only does it always spring up not only does it always cause trouble bitterness always defiles many bitterness always defiles many bitterness can't be quarantined it, it, it's impossible to isolate it if we're not careful as the saying goes hurting people hurt people if we're not careful our families will be poisoned and our congregation infected well, bitterness always springs up always causes trouble and always defiles many it's been almost 15 years but I remember when two of my brothers who worked together had a big conflict my twin brother Roger had worked for Jimmy probably for 20 years he was in charge of production probably had oversight of 75 to 100 people during peak season something happened that caused deep bitterness between the two of them this led to many more of my family being affected eventually there are at least 18 members of my family brothers sisters spouses their children that were grown being affected but in reality it affected our entire family of 40 or 50 because you were always aware of that conflict that tension if you went if I came down from Chicago to visit and I went to, to Roger's house those who were mad at Roger would get mad at me vice versa so there are times I can still remember this awkward feeling I'm going to see my twin brother but I feel like shouldn't go here because of what everybody else says well the bitterness wasn't dealt with we, we begged him we talked with him finally my sister died and there was a funeral and the bitterness affected the funeral some wouldn't come because the others were there we'd hoped that they would settle things then but they didn't later on my father died and we just knew for sure that at that point there'd be forgiveness but some would wait until they saw their others leave the hospital before he died to go in to see same thing at the wake they waited till some came and left and even at my mom's funeral almost two years ago that conflict the family was still evident bitterness this bitterness that sprang up in two 
but to thy entire family. I was reading recently, in contrast, Stephen Saint, whose father was one of the five missionaries that, that was martyred in, by the Aka Indians in Ecuador back in the 1950s. He responded very differently. They're trying to do a screenplay for a movie. And as they made the movie, they tried to make him be angry at these Indians who killed his parents. And he stopped and he says, stop. He says, I never hated those who killed my dad. I never wanted to do them harm. He says, I took my cue from my mother and the other four widows. They never doubted God's sovereignty. They never doubted that they made the right decision. And because of that, Stephen Saint grew up loving the people who killed his dad. What a contrast. What a contrast. Remember, bitterness always springs up. It always causes trouble. It always defiles many. What kind of legacy are you and I leaving behind? Will our children, will our friends see us in such a way that they handle the disappointments and hurts in life in a godly way? How do we overcome the hurts that we hold on to? How do we get rid of that bitterness and its effects on our lives? What's our recourse? What are our options? What do we do? I think we have two choices. One, is we keep a record of it. And secondly, we release it to God. If you were to come to my office and say, Pastor Ralph, you know, I'm really hurt. And I don't know what to do with this. Will you help me? First thing I'd say to you is, we need to recognize and admit our own sinfulness. As I said earlier, you have two choices. Record the debt, release it to God. And before you make your decision, let me tell you a little bit about bitterness. In the midst of hurt, it's easy to allow that bitterness and anger and resentment in our hearts. And sometimes we even move to revenge, being critical. And if we continue in sin, if we continue to resent, if we continue to talk, if we continue to do these things, we're piling up more sin upon us. In Colossians chapter 3, verses, verse 13 says, Bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgave you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. How did Christ forgive us? He, he forgave us uh, fast, quickly. He, he forgave us fully and freely. The same way God is calling us to do the same. So after talking with you, if you were in my office, then I would say, okay, now second thing, 
you remember that you're a sinner, if you remember that Christ paid a great price for your sin, you've got to make a decision. What's it going to be? You want to forgive? Release it? Or are you going to hold on to it? Well, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, uh, a powerful uh, verse, I think, that goes along with this. And it says, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't take into account a, uh, a wrong suffered. Another version says, It keeps no record. It keeps no record. Take into account is a word picture where something familiar is used as a metaphor. And Paul uses this accounting term describing a merchant who keeps a tally of what the customer owes him. He keeps a record because he fully intends to collect. So just like a merchant who sells things Write it down. You plan on correcting. Many of us, many of us, use a ledger book in our hearts. When someone hurts us, we enter their name and their fence in that ledger book. And we think that they shouldn't have treated us that way. And maybe they shouldn't have. So we hold them accountable. He owes me. We rationalize. And I'll make them pay. I'll make them pay. And then we set out to get the payment from them. Again, two choices. Record that debt in our ledger of our hearts. Or release it to God. And if we keep that debt written, if we keep the record in the ledger, we're real creative in how we collect we're very creative in how we collect. Sometimes we withdraw from people. Sometimes we criticize or slander the person who orders. Sometimes we explode in anger. Sometimes we plot ways to ruin them or to hurt them. Sometimes we spread rumors. Sometimes we do this subtle, underhanded, spiteful things to get even. Our options are endless for collecting that debt that we've written in our hearts. But the bad thing about keeping records is that it hurts us more than it does the other person. Sometimes the other person doesn't even know what we're going through. Which will make our decision, Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, provides great counsel, as read earlier. Never pay back evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave them room, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I'll repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness is not an act of our emotions, it's a choice of the will. And just as a merchant can cancel a debt, to someone who owes some money, we too can cancel debts of hurt. Forgiveness is an act of faith because we trust God. We trust that God, who is all-loving and all-wise, 
and all-powerful. He's able to work in our hearts and lives and in the lives of those people who hurt us. It's an act of faith. We transfer all collection to God. He's the best debt collector. If you were to review your ledger of your heart, what names might we find? And is there one person who there's several entries there? Well, Ernie Casuto was a Dutch Jew who after two and a half years of running and hiding had been captured by the Nazi. His fiancée, Hetty, was captured and, and burned in the gas chamber. But both of them had come to Christ in the midst of the whole process. And Ernie says that Christ met him in prison just as he had had with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And he asked him, Ernie, can you forgive the Germans? Ernie, can you pray for them? Will you love them? Ernie's shoulders stiffened, he writes. Forgive them. Love them? Jesus, how? How can I? They've taken me prisoner. They've killed Hetty. Forgive them? It's too much, Lord. I can't. But, in the aching silence that followed, it seemed to echo off the walls of the prison block. He had memories of his girlfriend, fiance, in her journal, where she had written Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies and pray for them who persecute you. He thought of Jesus, shamed and tortured and bloodied by human hate. That same Jesus who forgave his murderers on the cross that same Jesus who is now asking him to forgive the Germans who had killed his fiancée. I can't, Lord. What else can a man say? How impossible is forgiveness of that magnitude? But, if you will help me, I'll try. Please help me, Lord. One by one, the chains of hatred and anger and bitterness broke away. And Ernie says he sensed a new freedom in his body. Well, a day after the war, or one day rather, after the war, after he had been released, Ernie received a phone call. It's a phone call from the wife of the commandant in charge of the prison. He had a contagious disease. His wife wanted Ernie to come speak to him. As he wrestled with it, his dad encouraged him to go. And so Ernie went, and there, there he was, that once cruel captor, now weak and struggling to breathe, 
and Ernie tried to speak, but words failed. At that point, a voice inside urged him, go kiss him. Didn't do it, and again, that voice from within says, kiss him, I'll protect you. Timidly, Ernie followed the direction of the Lord. He said, I leaned forward and kissed him on his forehead. And the guy burst out into tears. And as he wept, Ernie listened to him as he apologized over and over and over for all the evil that he had done. And then Ernie says, I knew that he didn't just need my forgiveness, but he needed the forgiveness of God and God's mercy. So I told him about Jesus and how this Jewish, Jewish Messiah died to atone for the sins of the world. Arnie was free. He was free because he had chosen to give the debt to God. The collection was no longer in his hands. He was free to lead his former jailer to Christ. The question for you and for me is, are we free? Are we free to reach out to those around us? Over the years, as we've looked at the different views, I've looked at different views of forgiveness and what it is and what it isn't, and um, today I want, us to, I want to describe what forgiveness looks like and how we can know that we're forgiven. I've had people say, well, how do you know? How can I know that I've forgiven somebody? The remedy then for harboring hurt is forgiveness. As I read earlier, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. In this process of forgiving, we need to know that God has forgiven us. That's the foundation we need to remember. What is forgiveness? What does it look like? Well, the Greek word for forgiveness literally means to give graciously and freely. Gregory Jones, who is the dean at Duke Divinity School, defines forgiveness as the releasing of the other person from retaliation and wishing the other person well. He says it involves our emotions, it involves um, words, it involves action. It's complex. And sometimes in the process there is backsliding where we have to get back on the road. I would add to that forgiveness just means no longer holding on to anything no longer holding something against someone and secondly forgiveness first involves getting in touch with what needs to be forgiven I've sat in my office and counseled with people where there's been some horrendous things done to them and I've had people say it really wasn't that bad If we're going to forgive, we have to acknowledge the deep, deep hurt. Sometimes the evil that's done to us. Because if we don't acknowledge it, if we, if we whitewash it, we don't really forgive. Because forgiveness isn't easy. We need to know first what needs to be forgiven. Secondly, we need to release that person from our judgment. Thirdly, we need to, re to uh, release that person from my expectations. Oftentimes in my own life, 
and in those I've interacted with, we expect the offender somehow to acknowledge his or her wrong. And may I tell you, too often it doesn't happen. Secondly, we expect them to repent of their sins. And too often they don't. And too often we expect them to love us. And there are times that people don't know how to love. Again, forgiveness is an act of the will. Not necessarily a change of emotions. It's a process that begins with a critical decision that I will forgive. It's a process. Well, James MacDonald quotes Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, and, and he says that when we forgive, that all those damaging emotions, that bitterness which cuts our insides to ribbons, is removed, that wrath, that indignant indignation that flows through us stops or subsidizes, goes down. Anger, those outbursts where the fist goes through the wall or the broken glass somehow happens or the clamor that loud self-assurance that I'm right and you're wrong or the malice that desire to inflict injury or harm. All those emotions begin to subside. They go away and then McDonald says as we go through the process that healing begins and we move toward being kind to one another. Tenderhearted. For forgiveness. What is it not? What is, forgi what is forgiveness not? It is not forgetting. How many times have we heard people say Forgive and forget. You've been hurt. You're not going to forget. I promise. But the great thing with God's grace, through forgiveness, that intense pain and hurt becomes less intense. And the frequency with which we picture the hurt becomes less and less. So it's not forgetting. It's not whitewashing, as I said earlier. Forgiveness is not forgiving justice. If someone rapes someone, if someone uh, kills someone, they need to go to prison. They need to serve their time. There need to be consequences to those issues. It doesn't mean that we'll necessarily feel good. And it doesn't mean necessarily that things will turn out well or the way that we wanted them to. Forgiveness. We all need it. We all need to give it. As we close up, we need to remember the reality of life is we will be hurt. The result of holding on to that hurt is that bitterness springs up and defiles many. And our recourse are our options. We can report it in the ledger of our hearts and suffer as we seek to get it, get the debt back, pay back. Or we release it to God. 
the remedy, forgiveness. What does it all mean? What's my response? What's your response? First, we admit our sinfulness. Remember that Christ died for us. That's the foundation for forgiveness. Acknowledge our bitterness. Again, this question. Who's on your ledger? Who's written in that heart ledger? Is there anyone? Is someone listed several times? We need to forgive. I can tell you as I've gone through this this week, God has brought people to my heart that I need to struggle and deal with. Release the dead. Release it to God. Let Him deal with collecting. Well, as the band comes, we'll have the prayer councils come up. But I know because of the nature of forgiveness and what it is, if you just want to come up and kneel here in front by the steps, just cry out to God with the hurt that you may have. Do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have been gracious to us. You have graciously and freely forgiven us. And Father, you say, point blank, forgive as God in Christ has given us. Lord, help us to do that. Help us, Lord, to be loving men and women who love you and obey you. Father, bring healing in our lives as we come to you with the hurt and the pain. Give us freedom in Christ. Amen.